special Sunday at the Life of AIC. We have changed our service time, and I think by and large it's been a success. Uh, we weren't sure how well things would, would go as far as logistics, but it seemed like, one, there was more people for discipleship classes, which is a positive thing. Um, also, there were more people to be here at the start of the worship service. That's a positive thing. And when we were singing, I just felt like there were more people awake while we were singing and worshiping. And that's exciting. So we praise God for uh, so far a smooth transition. I know that there will be glitches, but we're really excited about this new chapter, so to speak, in the life of AIC. Everybody has traditions. Um, we all have traditions individually, within our families, um, within our culture. And uh, not all traditions are necessarily bad. Traditions can be a good thing because they help remind us of what we are to be focusing on. Um, when I was growing up, uh, Christmas, we always had the tradition of waking up very early at like 5 a.m. to go and open our gifts and presents. Um, some people at Christmas have gift giving as part of their tradition. Um, around Easter time, which we just uh, which was just a few weeks ago. Uh, some people in the States especially like to paint Easter eggs. Um, so some people have that or have Easter egg hunts at um, Easter time. Uh, there's various traditions that we have. I, I married into an Indian family, and so I learned that there were Indian um, and Asian traditions. And um, sometimes when we, uh, when we violate a tradition as an outsider, the people who hold that tradition might be a little bit offended. Um, I'll just share an example of after Gita and I got married. Uh, we were married in the States, but we came back here to Hong Kong to visit, and we visited Gita's um, family and relatives, and one of, uh, a close, one of her close family friends was the owner of a very famous Indian restaurant in Central called Tendur. And so as the owner, he treated a, a large group of us um, but we were the guests of honor, and especially me, because I was the, the Westerner, the foreigner. And so we had a menu, and uh, we had a portion of every single item on the menu. Now, the thing is, I don't eat a lot of seafood. And I love Indian food, um, but one item on, on the menu was fish, tandoori fish. And uh, I told Gita that I don't know if I can eat this, because I don't want to have a strange look on my face when they're feeding it to me. She's like, you just have to eat it. And so I mentally prepared myself for when it came. And uh, Gita's mom spoke up to make sure everybody knew I didn't like fish, which just drew more attention to me so everyone would look to see, ooh, is he going to like it or not? And so um, unbeknownst to me, in Indian tradition, you have to overcompliment, and maybe it's true in Asian culture, overcompliment to ensure that the person who was treating you knows that you enjoyed it. Well, I come from a very casual background in the Midwest, and so um, I, I took a bite, and everyone's looking at me, and so I said, hmm, that's not bad, it's okay. <laughs> now, anyone who knew me would know, they would actually look at me like, wow, he actually likes it, that's great. That is not apparently how the owner took it. <laughs> and so I didn't find out till like a couple years later when Gita's mom, she was also very offended and said, I can't believe that Dan would say the best dish in the menu was okay. <laughs> and so I had a little bit of a cultural faux pas. I um, misstepped and um, 
I, I didn't follow the so-called tradition of over-complimenting to make sure that they knew that, uh, what I meant. Well, we all have traditions, and even churches have traditions. Um, I grew up in a church uh, that literally had all wooden pews, and we only sang from a hymn book, um, ancient hymns, old hymns. Um, and uh, it, there was not even a, a question of whether we should use any other instrument but the piano and organ. Um, as I grew up a little bit older and I went to youth groups and other churches, I began to go to other churches that are like AIC. AIC, we don't have pews, um, and we meet in a school and a, basically a converted, covered playground. Um, and I've been to other churches where uh, churches have met in homes. I've been to churches that have met um, in old movie cinemas. And so there's been a v variety of uh, different um, places where uh, I've been to for church where they've met. I've been to some churches where everybody, I mean everybody, is raising their hands during the worship and singing, and they're clapping their hands, and if you don't do that, you're looked upon as being, well, why aren't you passionate enough about your worship? Um, I've been in other churches where if anybody would raise their hand or clap, people would look at them and say, why are you distracting the attention away from God and onto yourself? <laughs> I've been to uh, some churches where everybody, including especially the pastor, dresses up nicely. The pastor usually wears a, a suit and tie. I've been to other churches where um, the pastor will literally wear a t-shirt and jeans. Um, and so there's various traditions that churches have. Now, tr traditions are not necessarily a bad thing, like I mentioned earlier. The problem is, is when tradition and our traditions take the place of or distract us from what's truly important. I gave the example of when I was growing up, Christmas, we would open gifts. And there's nothing wrong with gift giving at Christmas time. It can be a great way of demonstrating God's love for us. But what can happen is Christmas can no longer be about Christ uh, coming to us and the joy and hope and pleasure that he gives us. And rather, it can become about materialism, what I can give and get from other people. And so um, we have to be careful that our traditions do not distract us from what's truly important. In Jesus' day, from the scripture that we read, the religious leaders had some traditions. And we find out that they had a tradition of before they ate, okay, they would wash their hands. And we find from the sister passage in Mark that not only would they wash their hands before they ate, but they would have a ceremony of washing all the cups, all the plates, utensils, the, the kettles, everything before eating. And this was actually a spiritual thing. They were symbolically trying to say, we don't want um, outward uh, dirtiness to get into our, our bodies, so we're going to keep ourselves pure and clean by washing everything. And that's a way that we are spiritual. And so that was their custom, their tradition. And Jesus and his disciples didn't do that. They didn't follow that. And so the religious leaders um, ask Jesus about that. And they basically say, why do you guys break our traditions? Almost as if to say, we don't do it that way around here. If you want to be spiritual, you need to follow our traditions. This is the proper way that you are to worship. 
Now, Jesus, um, as he did so many times, he was very ingenious. He answered a question with a question. And he basically asked back, well, why do you follow your tradition more than God's law? You see, the, the religious leaders cared more about following their traditions than what God had actually commanded regarding this whole concept of worship. And Jesus gives the example of how they of how people were not doing their obligation of supporting an, uh, their parents financially by honoring them by doing so, um, because basically they would say, well, I would give you some financial support, but I have to set aside some money for God. I have to use it for, for church, or I have to use it for spiritual things, and if I didn't have those obligations, I'd give it to you, but since I have that, I'm sorry, we, we can't help you. And Jesus was saying that was so wrong because actually he was getting to the heart and motive behind that was actually they didn't actually use it for God. They just wanted to keep it for themselves. And so here was a tradition that became more about me, about us, about my comfort, rather than doing what's right, which is we need to honor our parents. And so in essence, they would nullify the word of God for the sake of maintaining their tradition. And I was thinking about um, this idea of, of worship and, and tradition, and for us as, as a community of believers, as Christians. And I, I wanted to ask ourselves the question, what traditions do we as Christians hold on to and, and seek to maintain? Um, I think there's a variety of traditions that different churches have, uh, one way or the other. Um, there are so-called traditional churches, and their tradition is to be traditional. And there are non-traditional churches, and their tradition is to be non-traditional. So this goes a, 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 across a broad spectrum. One area is uh, regarding dress and attire, or personal appearance. Um, like I said, uh, I grew up in a church that was very traditional, uh, not only in the setup and the singing, but in the dress. And... Um, my dad would always wear a suit and tie um, when he was preaching. Now, there may be one or two or more, I don't know, who actually may be offended or may be wondering, why isn't Pastor Dan wearing a tie when he's up there preaching? Because maybe in your tradition, that's just what the pastor does. The pastor is supposed to wear a tie. Um, Others of you may be wondering, why would anyone be bothered by that? <laughs> why, why does Pastor Mike and Dan have to wear a tie in the first place? They should dress down. <laughs> because there are some people who come from a tradition where um, dressing down is um, more access acceptable. Now, this is an interesting um, area because uh, in the past at AIC, I have worn a suit. And those pictures have been posted to Facebook. And my father has seen that. And he has commented by saying, you know, Dan, when you were a teenager, you told me I got to lose the suit, man. It's so irrelevant. You got to be able to connect with the people. And now you're wearing a suit. <laughs> so I'm sharing that to say it, it doesn't matter if the preacher's in a suit or wearing what I'm wearing. What matters is the hearts. And we'll get to that in a moment. But we begin to, to make it about other things other than God. Um, we also have traditions with various music styles. Some people here may feel that our 
um, worship is maybe too modern and too upbeat. Um, some people at AIC may believe that uh, we should sing more um, traditional songs or some of the older hymns. Others may feel that our worship is maybe too traditional. <laughs> we need to have even more lively worship. Maybe when it comes to worship time, I know there are some people who are morning people. I am not one of them, so God bless you. But there are people who love to worship in the morning, and so maybe you would prefer, have preferred us to keep the time at 9.30. Um, others of you may still think that 10.45 is still too early. <laughs> others of you may prefer an afternoon or evening service. And there are some churches that, shall we dare say, worship on Saturday instead of Sunday. And then we have different traditions regarding worship mood or atmosphere. Um, some people prefer the worship hall to be very quiet and somber and, and serious as we enter into a time of worship and more reflective. And others would prefer that the worship hall be vibrant and joyous and we're all talking and having fun together. Now, the reason I share all this is because none of these, sorry, none of these things are matters of what is right or wrong uh, regarding worship. None of these have to do with what's acceptable and unacceptable styles, forms, or practices of worship. If we focus on these things, and if we are bothered by any of these things from whatever perspective we're coming from, if we are focused on these things, then we are just like the hypocritical religious leaders that Jesus confronted because what's hap what happens is we start be to become more concerned about our tradition and how we feel or think worship should be rather than being concerned about the one that we're worshiping. And so often we focus more on the what, the how, and the when of worship, and we forget about who we are to worship. You see, worship is all about God. Yet so often we begin making worship about other things and other traditions, the time and place of worship, hymns versus modern songs, uh, what instruments are acceptable, the, the way that we dress, how is, uh, the way we dress and present ourselves. And you know, if, we, if we're going to be honest about it, when we make worship about anything but God, it's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. If we are truly focused on God, then all those other things, they don't really matter. And they shouldn't matter too much because worship is to be about Him. And what happens is, so often, we make worship to be about us, about our comforts in a way that we appreciate and we enjoy. We want the music to be the way that we like it. We want to sing the songs that we like. We want to dress or other people to dress the way we think they should dress. Uh, we, we think it should be at the time and place that we are comfortable with. And when we begin thinking about and, and focusing on those things, not only is it idolatry because we're worshiping the music and the sound and the feelings we get, but it's also idolatry because we begin to make it about, really, it's about us. And we begin worshiping ourselves because we, are, we care more about, do I feel enjoyment from this worship time? 
do I get satisfaction out of this worship time? And that's the wrong questions to ask. Worship is all about, does God get the enjoyment from my, my time of worship? Is God pleased with our time of worship together? Jesus went on to say that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachers are merely human rules. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And I believe what, God is, what Jesus is saying here is that God doesn't really care about the means of worship. The how, the what, the where, the when. He cares about our hearts in worship. The issue is, where is your heart when you're worshiping? Where is my heart? Where are our hearts when we come to Him in worship? In Hosea chapter 6, the prophet says, for I um, he's, this is God speaking, who says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. In the Old Testament, one of the, some of the, most common ways of worshiping was presenting a sacrifice and presenting an offering. And those are great things, but God is saying, I don't want that if your hearts are far from me. And actually, those things don't really matter. It's not the sacrifice that is pleasing in the worship. It's where is your heart and your acknowledgement of me. Basically, God is saying, I just want you to acknowledge me. I don't care how you do it. Just acknowledge me. Now, of course, within biblical parameters that, that God gives. But God is, cares more about our hearts than the way that we worship. Later in um, the book of Psalms, David says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You see, God doesn't want or need a flashy show for worship. You know, music is great, but He doesn't need all of the, the bells and whistles. He just wants our hearts to come to Him with realness and authenticity, to lay our broken hearts and lives at His feet in humility, and just come before the Lord and say, God, I'm not worthy, but You are. I want to worship You for who You are and for what You've done. Some of you may be familiar with the, the song, The Heart of Worship, by Matt Redman. And uh, there's actually a story behind that song. Some of you may have heard, um, others you maybe not. But um, at Matt Redman's church in England uh, several years ago, um, even though they had great musical worship, uh, the people didn't really grasp what worship was truly all about. And, you know, let's face it, when Matt Redman, one of the, the greatest modern worship leaders of our time, when he's your worship leader, it kind of becomes about music <laughs> because he's so talented and I'm sure the team he had working with him was so talented and yet the pastor realized there's something wrong here. We have great, a great show, but people's hearts care more about the great music than the greatness of our God. And so the pastor just said for, for a time, and I think they did it for several weeks or a couple months, and he said, we're not going to have musical worship again for, for a season, for a short time. Because we've made it about something that it's not to be about, because it's supposed to be about God. And so he said, when you come, I want you to bring your offering of worship, whatever that is. And we're just going to bring it before the Lord. And uh, as Matt Redmond shares the story, he says, 
Yeah, the first time they tried that, there was a lot of awkward silence. Um, a lot of, most people are not okay with awkward silence. They think it's uncomfortable. Like, I'm sure some of you were like, why does he talk? <laughs> but then eventually people started just um, sh- shouting out praises to God or shouting out confessions or reading scripture that was exalting to God. Hearts were open, and they saw a change in people's hearts and attitudes. And eventually, they slowly restored back the musical portion of the worship, and they brought back the instruments. And it was during that time that Matt Redmond, um, really not even meaning for it to be a song, but just more of reflecting his heart at that time, wrote these lyrics. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. Now, this is a great reminder for us. And this song, again, was not meant to be a na- like a worldwide anthem of what worship is about. God used it to be that way to remind all of us. But God worked in the heart of Matt Redman. He worked in the heart of those people to be a reminder to us that worship is not about all the other things we make it about. It's about God. It's about Him. When I was a youth pastor um, at my previous church, uh, I had the privilege, after a couple years of being there, uh, our church was growing in size, so we bought a new portion of uh, the building we were in where the youth could could, uh, go for worship and gather for worship. We had our own service. We had about 40 to 50 youth. And mainly we met separately because of language, because it was a Mandarin church and we had an English-speaking youth ministry. And so um, we had the privilege of just designing the room from scratch. And uh, it came at a great time because um, I was reading some books about various ideas of worship and, and even the way that we set up our room can communicate various things. And so um, it wasn't my idea. I got the idea from others. But I thought, you know, let's do something. When we have this opportunity to build and, and make the room the way that we feel it should be, let's do it in the way that communicates what we want to communicate. And so here's a picture of uh, when you're kind of in the back looking to the front during our worship time. And so you can see uh, there's like a back, backdrop in the center with a cross, and on two sides of that are screens that have, just like here, have um, the words and images which enhances uh, the worship singing time. But you'll notice that there are some people and things that are absent, and yes, we are singing in worship. Who is interestingly, or what is interestingly, out of the picture? Where's the worship leader? Where are the the guitars? Where's the drums? Where's the microphones? They're not there. In fact, they're off to the side. We set up the room uh, kind of in a curved shape. And so here's after the singing time when people are seated. And you can see on the, the far left-hand side of where you are, you see the music stands. And in the way back, there's the drummer. And so our setup was so that the worship team literally was out of sight from the people singing. And we did that purposefully because we wanted people, when they came to our place to worship, to at the front see the cross. And when we're singing in worship, we have the words and images which enhance 
and remind us of who we're singing to and what we're singing about. And the ones leading worship were not to be up front to, um, to be looked at, to be seen or noticed, but they were there to lead people and point people to God's presence. Now, there's nothing wrong with people being up front. But what I'm saying is we wanted to live out and communicate what we felt worship was really all about. And so something simple like that was a great reminder, and it was transformational for our youth to realize it's not about being in a band, it's not about singing, because especially for young people, they like to be up front and be the center of attention um, when, when they feel like they have a talent. And it was also a reminder for those, our worship was all youth-led. Okay, we had about 15 to 20 youth who were involved in worship. And it was to teach them that they were, they were, there was nothing special about them up front in worship, playing a guitar, looking cool. But they would play guitar with no one watching but God. And their role was to point others to Him. And so that's just an example of how we can train ourselves to focus on God and not on the other things. Okay, well, finally, worship, if we define worship, it comes from the old English word worthship, which denotes the worthiness of an individual to receive special honor in accordance with that worth. In other words, the word worship inherently means it's something we give. Worship is something that we offer. It's something that we give. It has nothing to do with what we can receive or what we can get out of it, but rather what we can give and what we can give specifically to God. And so the question before us today is, are we willing to open our hearts and offer our hearts in true worship to God? And I believe one reason why uh, we focus on all the other things surrounding worship and our traditions is because we're afraid to truly expose our hearts before God. Uh, to lay our hearts bare before Him. You know, a lot of us may be thinking, well, I've just got a lot of, I've got a lot of mess in my life. What about all the mess? What about all the sin that I am dealing with, the struggles I have, the anger that I'm holding inside, uh, the hurt that I've been facing this past week or the past months or even the past year? You know, that's exactly why we need to come to God in worship. That's why we need to lay our hearts before him, to remind ourselves that it's not about me and my worries and my struggles and my inadequacy. It's all about him. And when we truly come before God with a humble heart and an open heart, that's when we receive the grace that we so desperately need. And once we receive that, that's when it turns into the joy of the Lord. And so at AIC, we want to be a church that practices authentic worship. We don't want to be like the people Jesus was talking about who just give lip service to God and say we love him with our words and yet worship him in vain. We don't want to be people who worship him in vain where our hearts are far from him. We want to be a people whose hearts are drawn so close to God so close to the God that we say we worship that we grow more and more in love with Him 
more so than growing in love with the traditions that we like to hold on to. I want to close by just allowing us to individually have a a time of reflection. So I'll invite everyone to just um, close your eyes and take the next few moments to communicate just between you and God whatever you sense you need to communicate with Him now. Some of you, maybe after hearing this, you're convicted. And maybe you have made worship about other things. And so take this time to just confess that to God and say, God, forgive me. I've made it about music. I've made it about a style. I've made it about a time. Whatever it is. And ask Him to forgive you and renew your heart and understanding of what worship is really all about. Maybe others of you, you have come to AIC, you've come to church, and you've just kind of gone through the motions. And you really haven't poured your heart into worship. And so ask God to draw you closer to Him. Ask Him to give you a heart of worship that doesn't just last here when we sing, but is with you throughout the week. And to renew that passion in your heart. Just take a couple moments between you and God. God, forgive us for the times when we have made this time about anything and everything but you. God, continually remind us that, as to why we are here and what we are here for, and that is to worship you. God, draw our hearts close to yours. May we fall more and more in love with you. And so when we do sing, that we would sing out of heartfelt reverence and awe and joy for who you are and for what you've done. God, work in our hearts. Continue to mold us into your likeness. May we be known as a people who worship you in spirit and in truth and in an authentic way to where we lay our hearts before you no matter what we're going through praising you and seeking your grace. May you speak to each of our hearts today and may we be worshipers throughout this week.